Hey, this is Steve Dale, formerly of Project 86 and Starflyer 59, and we are about to discuss metal. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Stephen Dale of Starflyer 59. Hosted by Dan Terry, presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan, and I am your host for this evening, or pretty much any evening that you're listening to this podcast. And uh, I've got a really, really, really fun guest tonight. I have with me Mr. Stephen Dale, formerly of Inner Means, Project 86, um, and I mean, so many bands. Uh, star- bands that you've played in. Let's see, Starflyer 59, um, Neon Horse. What was that newer one? Uh, White Lighter. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much, so much. How, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing all right. How you doing, Dan? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I, uh, just, uh, I just started my vacation, so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be pretty chill tonight. I'm not going to sound like I'm in a hurry. So that is a good thing. There you go. Well, I'm super stoked to have you on. We, um, we have connected recently on social media and so there's so much stuff to talk about. So I'm going to get into it, uh, pretty, uh, pretty generically. Uh, and just ask what got you into music, uh, first as a fan and then secondly, as a musician. Yeah, as a fan, oh man, I would say I was introduced to, um, the Southern California hardcore scene by my older brother who was into it. He's three years older and I just kind of got into that whole scene and that's really what did it for me as far as, you know, transitioning from a passive music fan of you know whatever was popular when i was a kid like say nirvana or whatever was on the radio into kind of a you know specific music scene and stuff so that that's where it started for me and then that grew into you know what everybody else is starting a band and i want to do the same so i started started learning how to play bass uh i think i was 14 i'm not may not be exactly right but somewhere around there started taking lessons and then that kind of slowly began into finding dudes to jam with and yeah from there on out i've kind of been doing it ever since well so what was it about bass uh that that attracted you to it um instead of like you know keyboard or flute or you know (laughs) (laughs) drums or something yes that's a great question i i guess it kind of just makes sense with my personality in a way like i i knew like i didn't really have a need to be in the forefront i just wanted to play music and be in a band and at the same time like bass is kind of like as far as the rock genre kind of like the most rare (laughs) position where dudes are like legitimate bass players and they care about bass and it it, it kind of ups your value as far as uh you know being needed or wanted to be play, you know, play with other dudes. And and at the time, like I had a friend in junior high who played guitar and my other friend played drums. So it just kind of made sense. Well, I better learn bass. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's every, every band needs a bass player. Um, every band needs a drummer, you know? (laughs) So, right. uh, Right. You know, it's, uh, it's job security, which, uh, I mean, I mean, looking, looking at your career, I mean, obviously you've had that, uh, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, so like what, uh, what were some of the first bands that you, uh, that you started playing in? Uh, first bands, gosh, very first band. I don't even think we had a name. That was just a literal garage band where we were, you know, just covering whatever songs we liked at the time. But, uh, the first real band honestly probably was inner means that, that, that was a true band in the sense where we wrote our own songs and 
plant shows and that kind of thing. So that was pretty early on. I, I'd say I started not long after I learned. I, I probably was around 15. So give or take 95, I, we, we started that. And uh, there was a couple incarnations of that. But it, it basically just stemmed from meeting dudes at hardcore shows and stuff and becoming friends with within that whole scene. And we just formed a band and just started doing it. There you go. No, that's awesome. I I still love that Intermeans EP. So, like, how did you guys get uh, hooked up with uh, with Tooth and Nail? Yeah. So back then, Solid State had just begun. Like it was it was brand new. And that EP we did, I'm not exactly sure, but it was within like the first let's say five releases. Like I think one of them was Living Sacrifice Reborn, and then you had. Um, Focal Point, I think, was one of them with the the Clark Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Focal. And, uh, no, yeah, was it? Right? I think it was was Focal Point Solid State, or was it? Uh, I could just look. I've got one of the records like next to me, but um, I want to say it was be. either Training for Utopia or Focal Point. It's something. Ryan Clark was in both, so it's kind of confusing. But. Yeah, yeah. And we were kind of we were playing with Focal Point, and we were just that whole scene. It was so every everyone kind of. Knew everyone else and i just remember our bass player at the time tim clark he you know lived with his parents we all lived with our parents we were like 16 years old or something and like he, he just got this uh on his uh answering machine you know there's brandon evil like bro we heard you guys are awesome like we want to put you out on solid state and we're like oh absolutely <laughs> let's do it and then and uh just went to the local studio. What was it? Moon song, Bob Moon, a guy named Bob Moon owned the studio. And he, he did a bunch of the early tooth and nail stuff. And it was basically a demo and we just did four songs and that was the EP. But I, you know, some of those are, you know, especially like living sacrifice. Like we were pretty out of our depth as far as musicianship when we were kind of got thrown into the pool. I mean, even today, like who, who is really in the same, uh, stratosphere as those guys right but i don't know i thought uh, it was i thought it was cool i mean i've got the ep and um yeah it's definitely i, I found it in a dollar bin actually <laughs> for like a that makes sense like 50 cents <laughs> or 75 cents or whatever and uh, i got all kinds of cool stuff out of there like really good stuff um uh, but no <laughs> i i really enjoyed it like um I, I didn't think that it really sounded kind of like the it was some kind of like weird transition between like you know i know back then you had like the quote unquote spiritual hardcore bands, uh like uh-huh. you're focused and and strong arm and and uh and stuff like that, or like even like a focal point, you know. Um but yeah. this one this one had a little bit more like, I don't know, like spunk to it, a little bit more um energy. Not that those bands weren't energetic, but like those the unfortunately those old spiritual hardcore records don't age well. Uh, right. Whereas right. the inner means one just seemed to me to be more um a little bit more immediate. Like it would be hard to just listen to it and tell what year it came out. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause yeah, we, we were, I don't know if you're familiar with that band, uh, unbroken. Yeah. Yeah. From San Diego. Yeah. That their record life, love regret was like, I still love that thing. Like that was our, we, we were really influenced by them and, and, and they just, they had a totally different thing, you know, within that scene, but they still fit within the scene. So we, we were really going for that kind of deal. It makes a lot of sense actually. Now that you, now that you mentioned right, it, right, right. I kind of feel the same way. I've kind of feel the same way about that record. I was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell when this came out. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking mid to late nineties, but I'm not a hundred percent sure somewhere in there but it, it's such a cool record and the the production is bizarre you know like it's a it's a mess and it's like out of time and kind of just there, there's they captured something really cool on that record so what ended up eventually happening you know there aren't a lot of um 
there aren't a lot of those tooth and nail, you know, a lot of tooth and nail bands put out, you know, or solid state bands put out an EP and then a full length album. So I would assume that the band kind of just dissipated before that happened. Yeah, it, yeah, pretty much. Basically, uh, Alex started playing with uh, Schwab and Randy at, around the same time, actually, in Project 86. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it means like it just kind of, we never really had much ambition to tour or anything. Like, I think the furthest we made it was to, uh, like Phoenix a couple times because we were, we were pretty tight with the Overcome guys. Like, they were our good friends and, we would play out there, but yeah, it, it's a little hazy. You have to forgive me. I was like 16, but no, you're good, yeah, man. Nothing, I'm just like, yeah, I hope nothing, you did all your research on yourself before calling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was nothing uh, dramatic. Like, Oh, we broke up or like, it just kind of dissolved pretty much. All right. So there's not a, like the singer went to jail for stabbing four dudes in a rage. Yeah, no, like, nothing that exciting at all. No, it just kind of, kind of fizzled out, I guess. But those were good memories, man. We we played a ton of local shows, and it it was it was a lot of fun. It was, it was truly a good time. Did you ever end up doing anything with uh, Bloodshed? Yeah. So uh, again, around that same time, see, it wasn't uncommon then for for guys to be in like two or three bands. <laughs> sure. So uh, around that same time, I was playing uh, with the Bloodshed guys, and it was kind of on the tail end of their whole deal. They were kind of a few years ahead of us yeah. and uh, did that. And we recorded an EP, but it didn't come out under the name bloodshed. It was, um, I think, I think they changed their name. What did we change their name to slingshot David? That's right. And it came out on some random Canadian label. And I don't remember the name at all. And there was, I think it was a seven inch and I would love to find if anybody out there knows where that thing is, I would love to find a copy of that because I don't have one. Yeah. Normally this is where I'm like, oh yeah, dude, I got that on my shelf. But yeah, no, I don't. I'm going to have to. It's a pretty deep cut, man. It, <laughs> that, that thing, I don't think many people have hanging around. Well, that's cool. That gives me something else to look for. Uh, <laughs> to right. complete the collection. I can't vouch for, I cannot vouch for how good it is. I don't remember, honestly. Oh, that's all right. I'll, if, if I get, if I find it, I'll let you know. Uh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so after that, so did you go immediately, I guess, into project 86 after that, or was there anything? Um, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, Ethan luck was, uh, he was the base, the original bass player of project and he took off um, you know, quit, didn't want to do it or whatever. And we were still kind of doing their means. And Alex kind of lobbied for me to come in on bass because I, I played guitar in Intermeans actually. And he, he, he brought me in. So oh, you know, Steve's a good bass player and stuff. And, and that's kind of, that was my, my intro into that deal. And so that's when I joined project. I I'm so bad with dates. Uh, I would guess 97, I'm guessing. That sounds about right there. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Okay. So you started playing in project now, um, you know, the bands that you'd played in before were predominantly like hardcore bands. So right. to come into project 86, kind of playing this more, um, I always used to joke that project 86 was the quote unquote Christian rage against the machine. Um, you yeah, know, that's how it, that's how it started for sure. <laughs> what was it like, I guess, switching, uh, switching genres like that? Was it something that you, that you wanted to do or was it just kind of one of those like, well, I'm in this band now and we're playing a relatively popular style. So let's go for it. Yeah, pretty much. It, it was something I wanted to do. Um, cause I kind of felt like a lot of the bands I'd been in up till then were, you know, more on the kind of amateur level in a way. And, and project was from, from day one was kind of a, 
sent out to be a very professional, legitimate band. And so that was really attractive to me that they took it really seriously and were really committed to it. And, um, you know, Schwab always had like legitimate lyrics and that kind of thing. And I, I was ready to kind of try something a little bit more in the mainstream at that point. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, I either want to play my passion or I want to make actual like some cash for doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah, exactly. And so let's see, uh, project put out their first record. Um, was that 98 or 99? 98. Self-titled. Yeah. I know you guys put a demo out before that, uh, which sounded a lot like Rage Against the Machine. I don't have a copy of that, but I think I've, I found it somewhere floating around online at some, I've got the MP3s on my computer somewhere, but like, um, that, that sounded so much like Rage Against the Machine, but the self-titled album, uh, the weird thing about that one for me is that it came out on Beck recordings. Yeah, that was a weird one. The, 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 yeah, Brandon Evil wanted us to be on BEC. That that had just started, too. I'm not exactly sure why, but yeah, I couldn't really explain that one. But yeah, it, it came out on BEC. Yeah, because I would have figured, like, I mean, I guess in a certain sense, I could see where he's coming from and that it's not a hardcore band. Uh, right. You know, um, but it's also not like, I don't know, I don't think it's like... Um, for lack of a better term, it's not like butt rock enough um, to come out, right, right. You, you know, on like, um, I don't know. It's not punk enough to be on tooth and nail, but it's not butt rock enough to be on Beck. I don't know. It's, I guess, uh, I guess in his mind at that time, it was just uh, where it was. Cause I think Beck had like, um, at least later on had bands like Cutlass and stuff like that on it. So yeah, I don't, right. I never could tell what the actual uh, aim of that label was. I think at that time we kind of didn't, we were floating, you know, we didn't, we certainly didn't fit in on the um, solid state side of things. But as you said, like we didn't fit in on the tooth and nail side of things at that time either. So I think that was the rationale behind that. So that first record, um, what was the, uh, what was the reception like whenever that thing first came out? Cause this actually predates me. I think I didn't start listening to the band until like drawing black lines, you know, like that era. Um, but then I went back and listened to the self-titled and I was like, Oh, this is different. Like I still liked it, but I it was just like, it's a little bit of a different style. Um, what was the reception like on that? Like did, did kids eat it up? Cause I can't think of a lot of bands besides maybe like POD at the time that were playing kind of that sort of style. Right. We had pretty lucky timing, actually, because, you know, I joined the band and a lot of the record had been written, uh, but I I was part of writing some of it and recording the record and stuff. And then we went on our first tour and we hit Cornerstone for the first time. And there was a buzz around kind of that genre of heavier music. Like it, it, it had started to become a more popular thing. So the reception was pretty good. Honestly, I mean, especially that cornerstone, we sold a ton of that first album. And, uh, yeah, generally speaking, it was good. It was, it was better than we expected. I think. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, and you guys got uh Sonny from POD to do guest vocals on that record. Yeah. Right. Right. But well, well before they uh, turned into what they ended up turning into. So, so that ended up being a cool thing. <laughs> That's funny. Like kind of a little bit of a side story. I always associate that. This is going to sound really dumb, but I always associate that record with the video game Wolfenstein 3d. If you've ever played that <laughs> I, I had. So like when I, by the time, like this is like, well, after that was a new game, obviously, but I, um, was a kid and my parents had like an old computer hooked up in my room. Like it wasn't connected to the internet or anything. And all I could play on it was like Wolfenstein 3d and doom. And I remember 
being in high school and playing Wolfenstein 3D and listening to the project self-titled and just <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> just like so every time I every time I hear one of those songs, uh, I always like flash back to that game. Like I can see it, <laughs> you know, in my it's head. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny how music does that. Isn't it? It, 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 it time stamps things and, and just connects weird neurons to like random yeah. memories. It's it's really interesting. It is. So, uh, you know, you guys put that record out and it came out to relatively good success. And then you, um, I, I guess the, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask since, I don't know, probably since like 2002 or something, when I first started listening to the band, um, what happened between self-titled and drawing black lines? Because it, I mean, it sounds like somebody just like pissed in your guys' Cheerios. Yeah. So basically, I mean, you know, again, kind of going on, on somewhat vague memories. Like we did the kind of the self-titled touring cycle and then went into drawing black lines and we, we had just kind of brought in all kinds of new influences. Right. And it got away from the rage thing and the, like, yeah, it's, you know, I don't, we don't really need to do much rapping anymore. It's kind of lame. And, you know, just, we, we kind of experienced a whole new, uh, kind of idea of what the band could be in a way. And yeah. so like, I was, you know, me and Alex really came from the hardcore scene, right? So we started bringing in a lot of that and, um, you know, got really into kind of bringing in like influences from Sick of It All and th- that kind of stuff. And we, we all went to see the, uh, the Deftones at the Palladium in Hollywood and uh, the Melvins were opening. And oh, wow. It was like, yeah. So like, that was like, dude, that, there's some cool stuff going on there. High and, energy. And yeah. So, yeah, and so that the, the Melvin stuff kind of like started integrating some of that, and then uh, uh, Refuse Shape of Punk to Come came out, which I loved. Uh, like I, it, I was crazy about that record. So there was some of that thrown in there. We just kind of kind of rethought the whole thing, and uh, I mean, actually, it's funny. Like Drawing Black Lines wasn't that like premeditated of a thing. Actually, it's just kind of what happened. Because there was no pressure at that time, right? Like me and Rainer were nineteen when we made that record. Like we 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 had no illusions of having some grand career in music. Like it was just kind of whatever we wanted to do. So right. it, that I think of all the records was the most organic, and just we just let it ride. Like whatever was happening, whatever we thought was cool, let's do it. You know? Sure. Oh, you know, Garth wants to record, you know, twelve guitar tracks per song. Like, oh, rad, cool, let's do it. Like they're nothing was overthought and i think that comes through on that record it's 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 a weird record like that so what was uh what was garth like as far as um i've heard some crazy i've heard some crazy shit about garth um (laughs) you know from from other bands and um you know so i was always kind of like well they put out you know garth did drawing black lines and um yeah i was kind of wondered like if if some of the craziness associated with him transferred over uh to what you remember yeah you know like we did that record fairly quick like it was, it, it was uh, a bang bang thing. We went up to Vancouver, and, and yeah, he just—he was always just kind of a funny dude. Yeah, we didn't really experience anything crazy, but he was more just kind of took the reins and just let it roll. I mean, I, yeah, there weren't anything like like fun stories about him. He's just kind of a quirky dude that that uh, we actually had a lot of fun with him. He was he was uh, he was pretty fun to work with, and we ended up working with him again later. So. No, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I've heard I've heard some insane stories about how like he would just put like porn magazines up like all over the studio and like um, just like and everybody's like I can't play because I'm too distracted <laughs> like by <laughs> everything yeah. that's going on. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I there, there's a lot of that kind of craziness, especially back then with any rock producer. They they were doing weird stuff like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that 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 doesn't surprise me. I guess. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where like he had been kind of contracted to talk to like to to work with some of these like bands that were in like the Christian music scene. And I think maybe that was just kind of his way of fucking with him, you know, a little bit. <laughs> like, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that 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 sounds uh, sounds believable for sure. Well, and then drawing black lines ended ended up like kind of opening a lot of doors uh, for the band. Yeah, I mean, that's when I first was introduced to the band. I was a, a you know, I was one of those like card carrying youth group kids, <laughs> you know, that uh-huh. uh, I was listening to like Skillet and thinking that was like the coolest thing that ever came out and. Um, and, and, and my friends were like, dude, there's this, uh, there's this dude named, or there's this band called project 86 and like their stuff is super heavy. And I'm like, oh, well at the time I remember being like, well, you know, they're, you know, I listened to like stuff like corn and slipknot and I think that stuff's the heaviest stuff ever. And they're like, no, 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 no. You need to hear. And they would all, they would always show me the song, set me up. Uh, off of drawing black lines and they're like, tell me that doesn't go toe to toe with slipknot, you know? Uh, (laughs) and you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, it's not really the same thing, but you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's aggressive. It's heavy. It's intense. It's dark. And you know, that's, that, that's what really drew me into it, you know, as a fan. And, um, I, I definitely got more into Christian music, I think at that time, um, but yeah, I remember like I just watched, I guess probably last week I watched like a cornerstone video of like after that record came out and the the crowd and everything was just incredible. So like was that like a significant kind of bump up as far as like popularity from what you guys had experienced on the self-titled? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a noticeable difference in in the whole energy surrounding us was different and and of course i mean you had atlantic a major label that said oh we want we want you guys and they put that record out so that was yeah quite quite a difference as compared to the to the self-titled record sure no that's i mean that that's when i remember the band kind of being at the peak of their popularity was was during that time because and I remember there being a lot of like, because I, I remember, because I'm I'm kind of that guy, and I'm I think I'm still that guy, even though I was that guy back when I was like 15. Um, I'm still that guy in my 30s now, where I'm like, well, what what else you guys got, you know? Um, uh-huh. So I remember, you know, hearing that the band had signed to um, Atlantic Records like fully. I know Atlantic had like a piece of the pie on drawing black lines, um, right? But you know, the, as far as like uh, whenever you guys ended up putting out uh, Truthless Heroes, that was um that was all atlantic as far as i know yeah yeah i think tooth and nail like licensed it for the christian market yeah that still existed back then where there were you know bookstores and stuff but yeah it was it was it was fully an atlantic record for sure so was that kind of like a different experience for you as far as going into like because i know like and i have very limited experience being in the christian scene like i was in a band for you know eight minutes and you know (laughs) like and and was kind of in that scene that's a totally different experience as far as like kind of breaking into like kind of a mainstream, uh, sort of, sort of deal. So did you, did you initially feel any type of like pressure as far as like what you needed to put out? Like, were they kind of pushing you guys to be like more of a POD or, you know, or or what was that? Cause they couldn't have, they couldn't have put out another drawing black lines and like felt like they could market that. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I remember feeling pressure directly from, you know, our AR guy or anything like that, but it was, it was definitely there. You know, it was whether we brought it on ourselves or, or whatever, it was, it was certainly there. I mean, drone block lines was like carefree and organic and we were just, just doing whatever we want. And all of a sudden there's this new level of pressure to write some songs that are radio friendly or, you know, are going to be more palatable for a bigger audience. And, and man, we worked on that record for, it had to be over a year of just writing and just, we demoed like crazy on that album, like so many demos. And yeah. I don't even know how many songs we wrote, honestly, like, but it was a lot. And uh, yeah, it was a totally different process. Yeah, that's the funny thing is like bands will write so many more songs than you hear. You know, uh-huh. uh, and it's one of those like you could own band could almost write an entire career's worth of material uh, before they decide on that 10 songs or that 12 songs or, or whatever for the record. Um, yep. I remember I read a book recently and I've talked to um, the drummer from Taproot, Jared Montague, and he um, he had a very similar experience, uh, you know, with, with labels just being like they, they would write an entire record's worth of material and they'd be like, nah, I think you guys yep. should start over from scratch. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy because, I mean, even speaking of that, like, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, we did like, uh, there was an idea at one point that they wanted to re-release, do a re-release of Drawing Black Lines. Yeah. And and we recorded, we went up to Vancouver again and recorded three songs that was uh, meant to kind of be put back into Drawing Black Lines for this re-release that it never happened, obviously. Um, but one of those songs was uh, Spy Hunter. Yeah, and that so, makes like, sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was recorded like way before. And then we re-recorded it for Truth is Heroes. And for some reason, I don't know why, we decided not to put it on the record. And so then that hung around all the way until Songs of Burn Your Bridges by. So you're right. Like you, you, you decide to keep certain songs or, oh, that's, you, you make these decisions. But like there, there's so many cool songs. I think there was even more. Like there was a few B-sides from Truthless Heroes that ended up on Songs of Burn Your Bridges by. Yeah, it, that makes tons of sense, and I don't mean to move over Truthless Heroes or anything. Um, sure, sure. But it, it is one of those records that, I mean, we listen to Truthless Heroes, and, uh, you know, me and my friend Buddy, uh, whose name is actually Buddy, like it's on his birth certificate, um, okay. he he, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he picked me up for school every morning, and so every, every single morning we would, we, we had to drive to pick up his sister for school, and then we, so we listened to Truthless Heroes for like, 40 you know we listened to like basically the whole record every morning before going to school and okay. um talk about a, like a bum out like what kind of mood do you have to be in after listening to that record uh and then going to school <laughs> it, it might might explain why i was depressed for so many years you know but like um <laughs> but yeah we would listen to that record and like we loved it even though like it wasn't as like oh like i guess hardcore you know as as drawing black yeah. lines was but like at the same time, we were listening to like tons of bands that were, you know, had been heavier. Like I think even like at that point, like you know, some of the heavier bands had kind of gone a little bit more commercial, you know. So yeah. it wasn't like a huge shock necessarily that like, okay, the next Project Eighty Six record is this. But the thing that was the weirdest, the weirdest thing for us was that like it's like this grand concept album, which is weird because like a concept record isn't really like what. <laughs> <laughs> what record right, labels right. want, you know, it's not no. what they're looking for. <laughs> Certainly not. Let me ask you this. Were you guys also crazy about uh, Blindside at that time? So Blindside was a, was this weird thing, right? Because we thought that Blindside 
we hadn't really heard much from Blindside. Like we were obviously we were like card carrying members of the POD cult, you know, uh, oh, sure, <laughs> at that sure. time. And we and and honestly, we were we were card carrying members of the Schwab cult. I mean, I right. Um, it, it's right. one of those things where we were really into Blindside and 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 stuff like that. But like, um, they hadn't. I think this was like. I could have my dates mixed up because again, like like you said, we're going back quite a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, like at least like 18 years at this point. But like I remember we had heard Blindside Silence and we thought that that was really cool. But some yeah. of the stuff that they had put out before that was like super hardcore. And I think right. at the time we were like, oh, this is so cool. Cause like I, I do still think that that Blindside record Silence was, was great. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's a fantastic record. But like, if you want to be a purist, you can be like, yeah, but that obviously doesn't sound like Blindside. Right. Yeah, they they, they kind of came into a whole different deal. That threw me off, too, because we were buddies with them well before that. We did that Warriors tour with, yeah, uh, with uh, them and P.O.D. Yeah. Uh, but we were kind of right around. They, they signed to Elektra, and we were on Atlantic. And basically, the Truthless Heroes and Silence, I think, came out almost around the same time because we, we toured with them to promote both of those records. Yeah, because they were on, uh, they were, you guys were on Atlantic and they were on Electra, right? Electra, yeah. So, yeah, everybody was pushing for that whole thing. That that was one of those weird things. Um, that, that was a weird period in history, which I, I like to call the uh, post nine, the post 9 11, like Christian rock bump. Right. Uh, because, right. like, it, it, like famously, POD's satellite came out on September 11, 2001. And, yep. um, but a lot of the like, you know, the the genre that we would refer to as like new metal, you know, in you. Yeah, sure. Um, that that was kind of like the heyday. And like before that, you know, people th- I always think it's funny. It's like in 2000, everybody thought that Limp Biscuits Rollin' was a cool song. And then and then by <laughs> yeah. like mid 2001, everybody's like, oh, my God, Limp Biscuits like a disease that needs to be eradicated, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but right. like I remember Christian rock bands getting very popular during this time period. Um, right. Because I, I think it was just because people were like down and out and they were looking for like a little bit of hope. And so, you know, obviously an album like Satellite was massive. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was it was it was yeah. it was what everybody needed at the time. Um, yeah, they come out with, you know, Alive right after 9-11 about, you know, you know, it's so positive and everything. And, you know, honestly, Truthless Heroes is not a positive record. Not, even, anyway. not so even a little we, bit, dude. Yeah. We kind of had bad timing in that sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, and it's so funny to me because, like, yeah, it was kind of a dark record or whatever when, like, even, even Blindside had kind of, like, prettied it up a little bit. Uh huh. But with Project, it was like, no, the world, the world is a shithole, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> it just is what it is. Um, and so yeah, that record, that record had a pretty very profound effect on me though, because if you got to think, as an angsty teenager, you know, at that time, I'm not into the positive POD stuff. Sure. And sure. I'm not, I'm not into the positive Blindside stuff. I mean, the Blindside came at it a little, a little bit harder, I think, than POD did, but. Um, but for the most part, it was just, I, I was very much like, yeah, Project 86, Team Black for Life, you know, like that sort of, uh-huh. that sort of thing. Like the media is lying to us. It's like all this or whatever. <laughs> um, and so we were like really, really into it. And then, you know, and then it was like, I remember, I remember very distinctly like going to project86.com uh, because there used to be forums there uh, that I was a part of right. Um, right. back when internet forums were a thing. And, um, they were, um, you know, it it was all very like 
quote unquote positive, you know, as positive as you can be for gathering around a record like that. Um, and then one day I log, I, I log into the site and it's all like, Hey, we're no longer on Atlantic records yep. and we're putting out, um, we're, you know, we're putting our next record out like independently. Um, but I never really got like the actual like story on that. So like, how does, how does that happen without a record label just shelving your band? Cause like I've, I've interviewed a ton of bands and I've run into people that have just been like, yeah, they shelved us and then we just couldn't do anything else. So like, how did, how did you guys escape that? Well, yeah, no, you're right. We were lucky that truthless heroes came out and, and that it got its cycle and stuff, even though it didn't become as big as we had hoped. You're right. Like we were lucky. It didn't just get shelved and, yeah, from what I remember, it, it's strange. It just kind of happened. Like our A and R guy, he, we started going into talks of like starting a new record and and starting over, and then those talks kind of turned into maybe you should do an EP and you know have uh, this label or that label put it out in the interim, and it just kind of started getting weird. And then I was uh gosh at the time i remember i was in the netherlands my wife is from holland and i was this is before we were married and i was out there visiting her and you know alex so i got some email or something hey you got to give me a call and i said yeah Atlantic dropped us. that was it wow <laughs> that was yeah that would but the the silver lining of all of that is that that got us out of our original tooth and nail contract which was which was horrible well, the two, the nail contract. Yeah. That's like what? Six albums or something like that. It was six, six records. And yeah, you know, half our publishing we had known. And they, you know, like, dude, I, I, I last thing I want to do is talk bad about tooth and nail. Like we would have never been in any position to do anything if it weren't for tooth and nail. I'm first to admit that, you know, that, that, that was our platform, but that, Atlantic era, they bought us out and it was a lot of money. Yeah. And they bought us completely out and then they dropped us. So it was like all of a sudden, like on one hand, our dreams kind of were shattered <laughs> or, or our hopes uh, at that time that we'd kind of built up. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, we got the blank slate now. You know, we, we, we can do whatever we want. Right. Yeah. I mean, like a clean break. I mean, <laughs> again, not very yeah. many bands get that, that clean break. Um, so you guys put that record out independently. Um, I actually don't have that version of it, but I think my co- one of my co-hosts does have it. Um, the original songs to burn your bridges by. Um, and that's what's so interesting is what you say about the tooth and nail record, be- the tooth and nail contract being kind of like not that great. But then that record of <laughs> eventually ends up uh, being released on tooth and nail. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is funny. Like, yeah, they, they, uh, came back to, I forget who was our management at the time and, uh, they had the best offer and it's like that right around that time is when tooth and nail went to the next level. Right. That was all of a sudden under oaths on the scene and they're like, well, they have like gold, you know, gold records and stuff like that. They tooth and nail was on another level and it was the best option we had. And, uh, we kind of thought, yeah, let's do it. And that's where you ended up again. So yeah, it is ironic, but it, uh, it worked out fine. Yeah, no, that's good. That's cool. Like, uh, cause I remember being like really excited. I was like, Oh, this is coming out on tooth and nail records. And of course, like as the youth group kid that I was kind of still at that time, I was just like, yeah, it makes the most amount of sense, you know, like <laughs> right, why right, wouldn't right. they be on tooth and nail records? Um, and I remember seeing you guys open for haste the day, um, at one point And, uh, I was like being, I was super excited about that. And it was so weird. Yeah. How things change. Because I remember 
Like if we go all the way back to 96, when we were first starting this conversation, you know, like tooth and nail records, like that was something you had to order out of like a catalog or you had to like, uh, you had to like go to a Christian bookstore, <laughs> you know, to buy records. Yep. And now I can buy I can buy brand new solid state releases for seven ninety nine on Tuesdays at Best Buy. <laughs> yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, that's true. Yeah. We that was a big thing to be in the uh, the Best Buy circular. Like yeah. They, they'd pay a certain amount of money. It was a decent amount, and they would show up on that Sunday paper, and it it really worked. Like, yeah. It sold a lot of records when you got when you were in that thing. So, so the thing that I thought was interesting about songs for Burning Your Bridges by is it was one of those like you know we had we'd heard you know as fans you know okay we've separated from Atlanta Atlantic Records and we're gonna put out our next record and so, so of course me and my meathead friends were just like okay so now they're gonna do drawing black lines you know again but it's gonna be heavier <laughs> you know it's gonna be like right, it's right, gonna right. be like brutal death metal project eighty six you know like obviously not but like. You know, it was just one of those like weird things where we were like, yeah, because I think at that time, tooth and nail culture had gotten through us, you know, fully. And so we were, you know, really big fans of stuff like Norma Jean and Under Oath and and, and Haste the Day and like all those heavy bands or whatever. But we always had kind of that special place in our hearts of like we wouldn't have been listening to those heavier bands if we hadn't listened to Drawing Black Lines. Um, Right, right, right. You know, so like, yeah, there's a lot to that. But, um, you know, what was interesting about that record is as rebellious and angry as it is, it doesn't sound all that different than Truthless Heroes. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, the hangover of Truthless Heroes in a weird way. And like I said, you know, we had, I mean, I I would have to look to be completely accurate, but I think there was at least three, maybe four songs on that record that were from the Truthless Heroes Either either recording sessions or at least writing sessions. Like the, a lot of those songs were hanging around, and luckily, Spy Hunter hadn't been used, so that made for the perfect opener of that record. So it, uh, yeah, it, that's probably why it's not so wildly different. But um, and, oh, and we went in and we recorded three songs with Aaron Sprinkle before releasing it on Tooth and Nail. Yeah, those were the so, bonus tracks. It was like Three Card and um, I can't remember what the other ones are right Shadow now. Shadow on Me, right? Yeah. yeah. I like actually really like yeah. that one. Yeah, Shadow on Me. Um, that's got a lot of Randy on it. And yeah, a lot of Randy. One of my favorite, <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite things about, about the old Project 86 stuff is that it had a lot of Randy. Um, his vocals seem to really like kind of um, be a really good counterpoint to what Schwab was doing. And yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was like always really kind of into that. And um, I, I always love that aspect of it. But the funniest story I have with songs to burn your bridges by. So like probably six days, I always bring up this, like when I saw you guys play with haste the day, um, I always bring this up because again, it was still like original project lineup and, um, sure. and all of that. And it was a great show. Like um, even, even whenever, like there's a video we released recently where I was like, yeah, I went and saw them and, my co-host was like, yeah, they opened for Haste of the Day or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but I was only there to see Project, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I remember uh, seeing that show, and I got a I got a copy of Songs to Burn Your Bridges by. I bought it at the show and, uh, like, got a bunch of T-shirts and all that. But, like, um, and I ha- I think I had, like, I think Schwab signed it or somebody, like, maybe you signed it. I don't remember who signed it. I have to look at it again. But it has, like, a bunch of signatures <laughs> on it, you know. A typical wow. fan of a band stuff, you know. And yeah, so I went and I went and saw that show, and um, I think it was probably like a week later. I was driving. Uh, my parents were out of town. I had to be. I had a college course that I was supposed to go to, but at the time I was like really bad about actually attending my college courses. 
uh, because at the, <laughs> well, at the time, like I was in a band and like we were going to make it big and get signed to Solid State and all that, right? Yeah, cause absolutely. Because that because yeah. ha- that happened, right? But like it's <laughs> one of those uh, it's one of those things that I was like, yeah, no, it's fine. I'm going to go hang out at my girlfriend's house, who is m- that same girlfriend who is my wife now. But like, um, I was like, I'm going to go to her house, but I'm not going to drive my crappy car. I was driving like a Ford uh, ZX2, like 1999. But I decided to drive my mom's brand new like for 2000 whatever year that was and uh it was raining outside and i was listening and i so i was like jamming songs for burger bridges by while i was driving to her house and i think somewhere in the middle of oblivion uh i lost control of the car (laughs) and uh and dude the car rolled like three times and the whole time oblivion's just blaring through my speakers like (laughs) like while i'm having this car accident it was like a slow motion like like if they if there had been cameras that would have been like the perfect music video for that song and um i'm like totally freaking out or whatever and then like i'm like sitting there the car's upside down and it gets to that part where schwab's like let go the anchor let go the dead weight and i had to like pull the (laughs) i was like pulling the seat belt off of myself and the cd's still playing even though the car's upside down it was one of the wackiest experiences experiences of my life um and i'll never i'll never forget that and the crazy thing is is like i had no injuries oh i didn't break i was the only person in the car and um the only injuries i got was like i cut myself a couple times when the firefighters had to break the back windshield to get me out um but it was just like one of the wildest one of the wildest experiences and i remember because the cd was still in the car and my dad, it's just like, it's like three days later. My dad's like, you know, the car's total, the car's total dude. Like, like you fucked up. Like, you know, the, the car's totaled. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, and I go, Oh, is it totally told? Like, are we ever going to see it again? And he's like, why? And I was like, well, there's a CD in there that I want to get out. Oh no. <laughs> And so I still have I still have that songs to burn your bridges by car accident CD. They made it, huh? Yeah, he got it. He went and got it for me. Um, this is a good dad. He he knew that it was important to me, you know. So he went and got it, and uh, I was like, oh sweet, you know. But like, and you know, as a kid, I didn't appreciate how much money my parents probably had to put up to uh, (laughs) to fix that car. That's crazy, man. That is really. You know what? I just was going through a bunch of boxes and stuff in my uh, garage. Yeah. And I came across a bunch of the original uh, independent release of uh, Song to Bring Your Bridges by. Oh, that's you know, wild. I'll get, you know, I'll get your address, man. I'll send you one. Yeah, for you sure, know, man. I'd, I'd be interested you in the car wreck over it. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome. Like, it was just one of the best. Like, it's it's one of the worst experiences of my life, but one of the best. So, like, it was just that record always cemented me. And, like, it was also one of those things where I was like, yeah, this band's got my back, man. You know, I didn't even get hurt. <laughs> I didn't even get hurt through all that, you know. Uh, but, That's you know, crazy, to, yeah. to bring it back to you, the interview's not about me, but, like, it's one of those, like, uh, that's more interesting than anything I've had to say. No, I don't think so. That's I just that's one story, okay? But uh, no, so like that that record comes out, and I think that the band kind of more or less, and I could be wrong about this, but as far as the perception of the band goes, kind of more or less kind of recovered. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, we kind of accepted our place in the world. I guess you could say. You know, we we grew to be okay with it, and the the whole Atlantic thing was just it was done. You know, it was it was. Uh, was kind of a chapter in the in the life of the band it was point. a uh, uh, pipe dream uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much but yeah so like you guys put that record out and then i remember actually one last thing about that stupid haste of the day show i keep talking about 
uh, th- that was in St. Louis, by the way. Uh, that's where I live. And um, what venue, by the way? I don't remember if I'm being yeah, totally honest. Either. It was not okay. a venue that I remember going to very often. It might have gotcha. been. It might have been the Creepy Crawl in St. Louis. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you. Got, I'm sure you've played with the Creepy Crawl before. Um, yeah, that was the, like the big venue in St. Louis. St. Louis isn't really like great for music. Um, uh-huh. and so, and I remember that from being a band in St. Louis and trying to like play in St. Louis. Um, we actually did better playing out of town than we did playing <laughs> in our sure, hometown, sure. but, uh, I went and saw that show and, um, I remember actually I talked to Schwab after the show and, uh, he was telling me about like the next record you guys were going to put out and he's like, yeah, it's not going to be as musically safe as, as, as songs to burn your bridges by. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, sign this record, uh, <laughs> but, uh, had we, re- had, had we recorded it yet? At that I don't point? know if you guys had or not. I don't remember how close that was, uh, to, and the rest will follow or not, but, uh, okay. But I do remember that record coming out. And I remember, <laughs> I remember my friend buddy, like he bought that record before I did. Cause he was like a major, a major fan. And, um, he was like, dude, listen to this album. And I remember that that was the very first Project 86 album that I listened to that I was kind of like, there are some really cool songs on this record. Uh-huh. And then there are some songs that are kind of like, eh, <laughs> you right, know, sure. Uh, but I was like, this must be what he was talking about, about it not being as safe. So like, what was it like going kind of into that? Were you guys trying to do something different there? Um, you know, my main memory as far as writing that record is we made a concerted effort to write the music as a band like jamming in a room right so there was a lot less oh steve wrote this song here's the song and let's work it out it was more at the most hey i got this riff and then we would just sit there and me randy and alex would just hash it out and um that was we were trying to go for a more organic uh you know writing in the room part uh, idea. And I think that comes through in the sense of those songs are generally speaking, they're a lot longer. Yeah. And there's a lot more, a lot more parts that came in and out. And that was due in large part to us just figuring them out by jamming as a band. So I remember that. Um, but as far as like stuff that was outside the box or, or whatever you, uh, you know, unsafe or however it was worded, there wasn't a lot of like, concept at least with me randy and alex it was really a lot of just whatever happened in that room and oh that's cool we like that let's let's do that i know that doesn't give you much no it's fine it's fine like i mean uh it it is what it is because it sounded like to me like it still sounded like the same band like it wasn't like it wasn't like you were like, okay, we're going to go into this reggae section now, you know, and, and, and <laughs> right, hold right. that. And then we're going to transition into like a ska section or like something, something totally off the wall. Like you're just rolling a dice of like different styles, you know? Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember it being, you know, kind of different and, um, that's not even like a criticism thing. Cause there's a lot of songs I like on that record. Um, specifically like there, there's a song called, um, Shoot, I can't even remember what it now. Like, uh, it's not sugar cued rem. No, it's necktie remedy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. song, like, I got fired from a job during that, and like that song, like, literally, like, helped me deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, it was like there was like a real corporate job and all that stuff, and so like even the okay. lyrics on that, like, kind of really, uh, kind of meshed with me and really in a really good way. 
Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that, that song, that's actually a great example of a song like that would have never, I'm not saying it's so great or anything, but that would have never happened if I were to have written that song. Like there's just so many parts that right, come in yeah. and out and it goes up and down and it's, you know, it's in five, four half the time. Like that's, that's Alex all the way. Like your total drummer guy, like, dude, look, let's get out of four, four. Let's do some, some weird time signatures. <laughs> you sure, know? So, yeah. It, yeah. That, that, that's a good example actually of what I was talking about. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So you guys put out, uh, and the rest will follow. And so like at what point, I guess, between that record and rival factions, uh, did Alex leave the band? Um, Alex actually was involved in a really early stage of the writing rival factions. Uh, he was, I want to say a couple songs or so. And at, at that point he had like school and he started, you know, working full time, uh, working on his career and stuff. So he, he actually didn't do a lot of touring on, and the rest will follow. And it was just kind of writing was on the wall, you know, like he, he, he was ready to move on and, and, uh, the logistics of doing another record with his schedule and that kind of thing was just not really going to happen. So it was pretty early on, but he was part of the, the, the first, first few songs we, we messed with for that record. Okay. So he just ended up leaving like mid kind of mid before you guys really got there. Yeah, exactly. At that time, Randy had moved. He was living in Seattle and um, he was working with Aaron Sprinkle and Tooth and Nail up there. And so we were pretty screwed out during that record. So unlike In the Rest Will Follow, Rival Factions was really like, hey, I have this song. And at that point, you know, I'd gotten really into, you know, audio production and that kind of stuff. And so I had capabilities of, of writing and recording a whole song by myself. And so that was kind of more of the process. And Randy, uh, the exact same, right? So he was doing his own stuff and I was doing my, and then eventually we came together to, to work it out and finish the record. So gotcha. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I totally missed this for whatever reason, but there's another band that you were in kind of before this, uh, which was crash rickshaw. Um, and oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that was a record that me and my friend bought because we're like members of Project 86 sold. We got it. You know, we're getting it. Um, and uh, that record I loved <laughs> a lot, actually. Um, and kind of like opened me up to kind of more oh, of this cool. like, yeah, I, did, I really did like it, um, even though I was like kind of a self-proclaimed like heavy music person at the time. Uh, that record is still like kind of still has that heaviness to it, you know, but it's uh the vocals are like just absolutely ethereal. You know what I mean? Like just, uh, just really, uh, really yeah. much, much more dynamic, I think than, than what we were used to in project 86. So like, um, so like that, that was really cool because like, I could tell that like, it was the same people writing it, but it was, uh, it was very, oh. um, I, like, I love that record. I can't like say that enough. Like I, that record was, was absolutely kind of a hidden gem for me. That's great to hear. I appreciate that. That was just, Gosh, do you happen to know what year that first thing came out? I'm trying to think. Two thousand and one project. It was between. I think it was between. Uh, so it was right after drawing black. Yeah, lines. it was between yeah. drawing black lines and truthless heroes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, Joby, who sang on that, was he was a longtime friend, Joby, and and we, we could sing and stuff, and so just an idea. I mean, Alex was like, "Oh, let's just do a band," and and Project was doing really well at the time. So uh, Brandon Evil was like, "Oh, you do side Project? I'll put it out. Yeah, no problem." And so we we wrote that thing so quick and recorded it so quick, and it sounds 
pretty terrible, but kind of in a cool way. But uh, yeah, that was really fun. That was coming from, you know, really going for like kind of like a more post-hardcore, more melodic thing. And yeah, we just kind of let let it go how it went you know again there wasn't much preconception with that thing we just kind of went for it yeah no it was cool uh it was really cool it was different uh than what i was used to it at the time because i hadn't really listened to much post-hardcore like sort of stuff then um and you know i I, because i remember just being like oh yeah it's like uh it's like some of the dudes from and of course i say some of the dudes from project 86 but it basically was project 86 with a different vocalist you know um yeah that first record was just me and alex and then randy started playing with us after that oh okay okay um but yeah it was definitely um no it was definitely cool i I just wanted to make sure i I added that kind of (laughs) in the timeline but um so alex left kind of somewhere in the beginning stages of rival factions and then you guys put that record and of course talking about a record that sounds vastly different than anything else that had come before it um you know where where was the band's kind of mindset at that time as far as like what type of direction you were kind of looking to go in um you know for me it was just kind of a thing of like okay we've been doing somewhat of the same thing you know give or take some variation for at that point quite a long time right and and just wanted to do something different you know it 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 just really felt like the time to kind of come out of left field with something different just for the sake of trying something new really i mean it again it wasn't this big concept that was predetermined it was just kind of the stuff i was writing and that randy was writing and and uh i think after alex left you know it was almost like it seemed appropriate to try something different if that makes any sense yeah no totally i mean i i've I felt that even after writing one record, like I wrote one record with my band and then I was like, man, I really want to do something different. So I can only yeah. imagine, I can only imagine after like a, a extended period of time of, of writing and touring and kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again, that you'd kind of want to do something a little bit outside of the box. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I, uh, that's pretty much where we were coming from. Yeah. So like that record came out and then I guess, I guess it was during that time. Um, I'm trying, I'm picking my words very carefully here, but like (laughs) during that time, um, you guys basically, like I I know Randy kind of left, I guess it was either, it was probably after rival factions. And I'm trying to remember if you were still there for picket fence cartel, because I remember seeing, I went and saw the scream, the prayer tour, which was at, um, that was at Fubar in St. Louis. Yes, I was there. Yeah, you were there. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I think you were playing guitar, if the, if I'm right. Yes. Yeah, you were playing guitar Correct. for that record. Yeah. And and or for that um for that tour. And um yeah, so like that was that that was one of the things where I was like, what you know, it's weird because because yeah, you and you and Schwab were the only people that I recognized. Uh, <laughs> you know, on that tour. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. Okay. So you were doing, so you, so Randy left and then you just stuck with it for like, what, one more album or? Yeah. So we were, for Picket Fence, Randy was, we were writing that whole record and it was like actually kind of towards the tail end of writing that record that Randy, he rolled, you know, he, he, he wanted to move on and he was done. Right. So, um, I was just kind of there and I'm like, Oh like what happened? <laughs> like this, this isn't good. And, uh, but I, you know, it's all I had done as a, as an, my entire adult life at, right. at that point, that's all I had done was 
toured and right so i didn't know what else to do so it's like okay i guess we're gonna finish this record but the 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 whole record kind of fell on me and schwab's shoulders and especially me in the sense of like i I recorded most of it and i ended up playing guitar on it and bass and trying to grab stuff from randy from demos because i'll be the first to admit like you know randy's a rad guitar player and like even if it's something simple he's gonna play it completely different than i play it you know so that wasn't uh and so we did that record and then they did that that tour you mentioned was literally nine weeks long like that was a long one and it was for me personally it was a really bad time in my life like i you know all the dudes are gone and we had the reason i was on guitar is because we couldn't find a guitar player that would you know play the songs right <laughs> so, sure yeah. so i was like okay we found we knew this guy who played bass and he was great uh, but you know i'll do my best playing guitar and it that at least for me that was kind of the beginning of when it was like this isn't the same thing you know this is this is different and and uh yeah, that's kind of where it ran its course for me. And, uh, and somewhere in that touring cycle is when I, I decided to, to to leave myself. Yeah, because, I mean, at, at some point you're kind of looking around and you're like, where is everybody? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, <laughs> was, just... yeah, no, it was tough. Yeah, it, it was it was tough. And it, yeah, and, and you know, at the same time, like I, I, I was recently married and like I just I didn't want to be gone for six weeks or nine weeks or whatever it was at a time. And it, it just. It kind of just stopped making sense for me at that point. Sure. And um, so like you leave the band and was that basic was the band basically like your full time job before that? Or were you like taking time off from work to tour? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that point I was trying to, you know, I was making some supplemental money like uh recording and, and of course doing yeah. some some things with other bands and stuff, but but that was but that was really the main deal. So Okay. So like, you know, you're just, you, you'd said you'd been married. So like, what's that phone call like driving home? Like, yeah, so <laughs> I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna keep doing this. Um, and you know, I'm going to end up, you know, like doing, doing whatever, like what was the kind of idea there as far as, uh, like, what am I going to do now? Right. It's funny. You should ask, like my wife, actually, if you were to ask her now, would say, you know, it's all water under the bridge now, but like, to be honest, one of my biggest regrets was I, I wish I, when Randy said, you know what, man, I'm done. I, I should have rolled with him. Cause that was, I was, I was, I was really unhappy doing it, you know? And, and, and so she, she was happy that I was quitting. And she was going to say, yeah, you should have done this a year ago, basically. So gotcha. Okay. It, yeah. It, and then, you know, the, 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 the brutal truth of it is, is like, you know, the, the money from touring, especially at that time, kind of the level we were at at that time, it was enough to live on and stuff. But like in my older adult self, I'm looking back and it's like, I could have worked at Starbucks and it, it would have <laughs> been the same money. You sure, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't, if you're not, if, in other words, if you're not happy doing it and you're not loving it, it's a bad choice. So <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. I have been in that situation myself with jobs and stuff, you know, like, why am I, why am I working my, my hands to the bone here when I could go over, over somewhere else and do less work and make the same, if not more money, you know, like, yeah, totally. That's totally relatable. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, like I knew I wasn't like quitting music, right. I knew I would always do music and that would always be there. I was deciding to leave music as 
a career that I depend on to support myself and my family. So yeah, that's, that's a big difference, at least for me. So after that point, like where do where do you, I mean, obviously we kind of know anybody that can read Wikipedia knows kind of like what went on next, but, but actually I haven't read that Wikipedia article in a while. So I'm just going to ask you since you're here, uh, what, what was <laughs> the, yeah, right. Yeah. Did I you know, did either. you know you have a Wikipedia page? Um, you do. It's, uh, I don't remember. Was it was it Starflyer next? Actually, I was jamming. I was playing with uh, Jason in Starflyer since 2006. Okay, yeah, that's that's where my yeah. that's where my timeline's a little bit confused because that's um, obviously like, I mean, to me, like that that's a huge step from from <laughs> you know where you oh yeah where, where yeah, you yeah. had come from. So you were jamming you were jamming with Starflyer before that. So like, how how did how does something like yeah. that come about? I mean. Starflyer is one of my favorite bands as well. So like I'm, I, I'm a little bit oh, of a tooth and cool. nail kid at heart. So like, you know, Starflyer's got that, got that special place for me. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I knew, I knew Martin from like forever ago, you know, back in those days, like all the tooth and nail bands, if you're at, at, uh, you know, Cornerstone, they, you're all intermingled, right. And you became friends with a lot of them. So I knew him from quite a while back. And then, um yeah we oh he was in a him and dirk from stavesacre had this band called the emergency okay and this was like oh man somewhere around truthless heroes era we were on atlantic and it, and it was it was rad and so i showed john rubley our and our guy like you got to check this out and this was when like the hives and white stripes were huge right and it was kind of in that garage rock vein yeah and so they atlantic actually signed they, they actually signed them and they made the whole record but like we were talking about before it got shelved and no one ever heard it yeah and so very common that story yeah. connected me with martin yeah yeah so um and i was just hanging out at his house and he was showing me some uh, i think early neon horse stuff and, it, and i just played bass on it and he was just stoked because like, i never you know had like a really like legitimate bass player and all that and so that just kind of just happened and he said oh dude I, he was working on, on 2006 that would have been my island that's the record yeah my that's island, the first yeah. record i played on and then Great record. yeah and then since then up till now how many one two three it's a lot of albums and a lot of EPs. Records, something like that yeah it's a it's it's a whole career's worth of material yeah. like it's there's no way to, to, to you know slice that up any other way like <laughs> it's a lot you know and that that was kind of one of the coolest things yeah. you know for me coming off of being a project fan and and like realizing that like oh okay um i've got a little bit of because like your the your bass playing as far as like i don't necessarily say the the tone or whatever but it's always very like i can always kind of tell it's you um, not that you're a one trick pony or anything like that, but it's just like, basically, I hate to say it, but like any band where I can actually hear the bass player playing, <laughs> I have to, <laughs> yeah. actually, I actually have to look in the liner notes and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. So it's Steven. That's, that makes tons of sense now. Um, uh, I appreciate that, man. That's nice. Um, I had a, I had a friend that unfortunately he was going to co-host with me tonight, but was unable to make it for whatever reason. And, um, yeah, he, he, he was a bass player himself and, uh, he, uh, whenever we used to play live shows and stuff, he would try to emulate your tone, uh, as much as humanly possible, <laughs> you know, um, because he's just like, oh, yeah, okay. this isn't, you know, uh, more specifically like for him, uh, it was the drawing black lines tone. He wanted to, you know, cause we are in a hardcore band. So like, he was like, I need to have the most like brutal bass possible. And, and in his mind, the most brutal bass okay. possible was, was the drawing black lines bass, you know? 
but you can still hear it too, especially if you listen. Which is a go ahead. Oh, uh, go ahead. No, no, you're say, good. It's actually a, on that record is a is a bizarre bass tone actually. Yeah. Like it's all like low mids because there was so many damn guitars <laughs> right, yeah. that the guitars were, they were filling up all the low end. And so it's, it's actually a really peggy mid, like, yeah, pretty crazy bass sound actually. It, 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 and again, it wasn't really that intentional. It just kind of happened. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, for him, it was like uh it was like a guidebook on how to be brutal on bass, you know, <laughs> like uh, it was his whole, it was his whole deal. Okay. Okay. Yep. I remember we, we, him and I sat up for like four hours one night, like playing with, we had like one of those pod, uh, one of those pod effects, you know, um, and we're going through the pod. There's like 900 sure, different, 900 sure. different bass effects. And we're like trying to figure out exactly how to get that exact sound. Um, uh, cause really, it's funny cause like we'd play the record and then we'd stop <laughs> it and then we'd like, you know, like it was just, it was this whole thing. And, um, it, I think, That's I think the transition funny. over into something like, uh, into something like Starflyer and even like um like Neon Horse was Neon Horse probably the weirdest band I've ever heard in my life. Um yeah, yeah. and and Mark Solomon's <laughs> one of the weirdest dudes that I can imagine in my life, you know, like Yeah. Um yeah. it fit like a glove, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 the neon horse is probably the most polarizing band i've ever been a part of people either love it or they cannot stand it <laughs> well it's like if you like new wave then like you're gonna have a great time <laughs> yeah and solomon's doing weird stuff it, 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 man that honestly that first neon horse record that's the most fun i ever had making a record <laughs> it, it, it was just a blast it's a ridiculous record but it's i i really had fun doing that well, and so like, so your main gig kind of, kind of going on was, was Starflyer. And so I assume you were doing like Neon Horse, and, you know, like kind of on the side from doing that. Uh, yeah, but that's also, that's also Martin, right? Neon right. Horse. So like it, it was almost one and the same in a weird way. We were recording at his house the same way we did with Starflyer and it was a similar process, just a different band. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that almost was a Starflyer record in a really weird way because it was still a Martin record, you know? Gotcha. Okay. So like when did, um, when, when did it like, cause I know neon horse, I guess is more or less not an active thing anymore, or maybe it is, I don't know, but I'm just guessing. No. Um, so like white lighter. No, no. no we, we played it. Yeah. So that was, that was, Oh man, when, what year was that? Uh, uh, two thousand. You're asking the wrong guy. I still, I still think two thousand ten was last something year. Like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so that was just you know same kind of thing. I just wanted to, I just wanted to do a record. And Solomon, you know, like that's the problem is there's a shortage of singers. And Solomon is just a guy I've known forever, and so we did that. Um, yeah, basically for fun. It, that record didn't have a big footprint at all. You know, it, it it was it was limited in its exposure and stuff. It it was really more of a passion thing, passion project, and just something fun to do with him. Gotcha. Well, it's cool. I mean, having having Mark on anything. I mean, the dude's a Swiss is a, is a Swiss Army knife of a vocalist. He is. You know, he is. Yeah. He can do pretty much anything. Um, and uh yeah no i remember just thinking that that was the weird i think i heard i think i heard neon horse on it must have been like on a tooth and nail compilation or something like that uh-huh. um and i remember thinking it was the weirdest thing i'd ever heard in my life um because at the time <laughs> you know i was still like yeah it's not heavy it's not good you know like uh, right, right, right. but uh it, yeah once i hit 30 for whatever reason like all these bands 
that I that I hadn't really given a chance before and written off. I was just like, oh, okay, this is actually like really cool. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, funny how that happens, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, you know, like as a as a career musician, you know, like what have you got kind of going on um, in the in the present day? So right now, we actually just finished another Starflyer record nice. <laughs> that that just got done, and uh, I think that would probably I think I think this year I'm guessing it would it would come out and okay uh, that one Jason decided to work with uh, T W Walsh he's in he's in Pater Lion. Okay. Uh, for a while, way back in the day. And uh, so he was a big part of that. It's like kind of remotely because he's in Massachusetts. And uh, Martin would send him the songs and, and then he would kind of rearrange and add keyboards. And, and he ended up mixing it. And I would actually call him the producer of the record, TW. So it's it's a different record. It's a different sounding record. So uh, that's that was really fun to do. It was kind of outside the box for Jason a little bit. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, that just came out, or will come out. Um, actually, it's funny you should ask. We've been playing around with the idea of doing a Neon Horse EP, just Ooh. for the fun of it, just to kind of bring it back for for no good reason. Yeah, hey. <laughs> I think that was the whole point yeah. of Neon Horse in the beginning, was you didn't ask for it, but here it is. <laughs> exactly, right. Well, that's the thing, you know, I think that's why me and Martin have worked together for so long, like, it's really about creativity and more than anything, enjoyment Just having fun. Like we're not relying on it to live. And, and that, that was the biggest breath of fresh air after leaving project as far as like, Oh, that's my job. And that's it. You know, there's pressure on how you write songs because you got to please fans and then you're, you're worried about, them and then you got to, you got to do this. You got to do that. Like as soon as you're not relying on it to make money, it, it, it's kind of like a, such a refreshing thing that you enjoy it again for sure and so that's yeah then that's kind of why i think the two of us have yeah and to be clear starfly that's jason's man like he he's the songwriter i'm not writing anything i, I you know i'm giving ideas and you know you'll bounce stuff off of me and come up with bass parts and stuff but like you know obviously like he's the dude with that so for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think I think anybody that's a Starflyer fan kind of knows that. You know, it's not like it's yeah, not any kind of right, big secret. Right. I don't know why people would keep big secrets about whether they were the sole member of something. But anyway, um, I do think that like um, I do think that like it's it, it's been super cool and like seeing kind of kind of what you you've done and kind of seeing what like Randy has done and I think. Uh, Alex is the only one that's kind of a big picture, a big kind of question mark for me. Cause I, the last I heard from Alex that he was doing something with like focused, but I think that was a long time ago. Like I said, I'm, I'm so out of the loop as far yeah, as like current right? music news goes. I uh, forgot. It is yeah, really, yeah. really, really hard uh, to, to remember exactly where, you know, everybody is um, and what they're doing, but do you still keep up with Alex? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we're me, Alex, and Randy are we're, we're all close, man. We're we're uh, constantly in contact and stuff. And uh, ironically, actually, Alex played on that first Neon Horse record. That was him on drums. That's right. That's so right. That I should I should know that. I brought him to. Yeah, I spun that record today. Oh I, no, it's fine. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, but yeah, uh, me and Alex have jammed just like recently. We were toying around with some stuff nothing really came to fruition with it um but it was fun nonetheless you know we were playing heavy stuff and kind of revisiting kind of some of that 
that kind of uh, style and stuff, but no real clear intentions of any project or anything. It was more just just to do something. No, I think I think that's super cool that you guys are still friends, you know, all friends and and, and getting along. And um, there doesn't have to be any like drama associated with it, you know, and like that's that's what you want, you know, uh, in the yeah, sense absolutely, of, yeah. like you're afraid, you know, you've been with these people since like what high school, you know? So it's like really hard. Yeah. I think, um, like even for me keeping up, like that's part of the reason why we started this podcast was like my co my co-host Joe, him and I have been friends since high school. And, um, you know, we played in a couple bands together and we did, we did things kind of over the years, but it was one of those things where like, I'm like, if we want to do this like creative, like podcast thing, like I couldn't think of anybody else, anybody better to go to, you know, as far as uh, bouncing ideas and doing something creative. So, um, this is cool. And this is, um, this is what I think, um, you know, this is where I'll probably wrap up, but real quick, I wanted to, there was, I got a, I got some messages earlier today. Um, and I had kind of told people that we were going to be talking tonight. So I want to kind of see some people wanted me to ask you some questions. And I want to make sure I at least get oh, sure. I want to make sure I get at least one of them in, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to be a little yeah, bit absolutely. more, a little bit more interactive here. Um, let me see here. Um, I don't read Cause some of these we may have already answered. Yeah. Cause like one of them was, why did everybody leave the band in the same year time frame? Uh, we kind of already talked about that. Um, well, it's funny actually, cause it, it wasn't the same year at all. <laughs> like that's just kind of, because it was never really put out there to the public that we had left officially. There was never an official statement for all three of us. Right. So right? it just kind of happened. And yeah. it never talked to it. Yeah. So it, it was spread out. It was close, but yeah, it was, it was within a couple of years. Sure. I, uh, one of the questions is super controversial, so I'm probably not going to read it, but, uh, the other one is, um, well, one of them was, would you ever entertain rejoining or playing with project again? If not, uh, would you do something with Crash Rickshaw? Yeah, that rejoining project thing I don't see happening. Because, I mean, it, it would have to be like all the original dudes and, and that kind of thing. I don't really see that happening. But uh, Crash Rickshaw, sure. We actually did record some stuff a few years ago and kind of tried to write some new songs, but nothing really came of it. But Joby's, uh, he's been one of my best friends for years and years and years. So I, uh, I wouldn't put that out of the question at all. I think it'd be fun. I, I would totally be open to doing that. I know there's some people that are stoked for it. Um, there's been a little bit of talk. Yeah, that's good to hear actually. Yeah. I, I, I kind of assumed nobody cared to be honest with you. <laughs> well, after like, after like recent events and announcements or whatever, like people kind of started, I feel like thinking about crash rickshaw again. And they're like, well, um, you know, if those guys got together and did that, that would be super cool. <laughs> you know? Um, and, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was kind of, kind of like an, so like by association sort of thing, um, where it was all like, well, you know, if sure. we can't, if we can't get them for this one thing, it'd be really cool if we got them for this other thing, you know? Um, so that's something that, you know, <laughs> something that even made me kind of go back and listen to that record and, and, uh, then the record, the, well, it wasn't, I don't know if it was a full length record that came out later on, uh, in 08, which was, I think was like a digital only sort of thing. Uh, unless it's yeah, not, in yeah, which case yeah. you need to send me one. Um, but, uh, no, that was only digital. Yeah. That I think was that was it, iTunes yeah. only, if I remember correctly. Um, which probably. I probably have that. Yeah. I have that sitting around on a hard drive somewhere. Um, but but yeah, so this is super cool, man. These are the kind of like kind of autobiographical questions I like to, or like autobiographical sort of episodes that I like to do because 
Um, it gives it gives a really clear picture on on kind of what it's like, you know, because one of the biggest things for me is like I'm a I, I'm a guy that did music for a while, uh, but just didn't for whatever reason oh. end up. Yeah, it just didn't work out, you know. Um, so it's always it's always super inspiring to see like even when somebody's in a band that's kind of more popular, uh, you know, leave that band and then end up go- and end up still having a full career um, after that. And I think that that's super super inspiring and something that I feel like people can latch onto that maybe maybe when the thing that they're doing ends or they decide that they can't continue with it for whatever reason that there is still kind of hope uh, to continue to continue on and, and do the thing that they love. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. But yeah, there's a, this is the part of the interview where I'm like, Hey, do you have any questions for me? I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, no, I appreciate it. This is, this has been a lot of fun and, um, you know, maybe sometime, sometime down the road, uh, you know, we can, I can have you pick a band and, uh, you know, uh, we could talk about a band that you, that you like and are passionate about and we can talk about all the records. I think that'd be super fun. I would love to do that. I think that's a great concept for that podcast you have. I think that'd be fun to do. Yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun for me. Like the main, main reason I started it was because, uh, whenever, again, whenever I got kind of in a little bit older, I didn't have as much time to listen to music. So it gives me kind of an excuse to be like, Oh, well, I have to go back and listen to all these bands so that, you know, I have, so that number one, that I remember it, that I absorb it, but now it's like I have an official thing to tell my wife, yes, I'm doing this on official business, you know? <laughs> so. Right, right. Has has anybody picked a band that has just an insanely giant catalog that really screwed you as far as trying to become, become <laughs> familiar with all of it? Uh, well, um, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't really want to get into that, but yeah, like, uh, we, we, I did have a guest at one point pick a band very late in our communication period and ended up, uh, like I had to spend like the entire day researching the band because I was not familiar with their catalog (laughs) really at all. Um, I'd say, I'd say one of the biggest ones, uh, we had, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the, as the story grows podcast. Um, we had the host from that podcast on to talk about a band called death. Um, not a band called death, but the band death, like the death metal band from, yeah, from Florida. And, um, I remember that one being kind of a big, kind of a bigger catalog. And, um, I think we ended up just kind of like bullshitting the entire time (laughs) though. and didn't, didn't really even talk about the band. That was when we were like (laughs) brand new and didn't really know what we were doing. But, uh, that, so that was a big one. I think some of the biggest discographies we've done, we did napalm death, which had a lot of records, um, and then we did KMFDM, oh, the sure. industrial band. Uh, we did them for our 200th episode, and that was like 21 yeah. records. Um, that was that was rough. I mean, oh, that was my gosh. that was probably the hardest one that we've done <laughs> uh, because like industrial music is awesome, but it's not oh, like I can imagine. it's not big on variety. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've done some massive discographies for sure. That's really funny. Steven, I want to thank you so much, man, for, for taking, for taking, you know, an hour and a half out of your night and, uh, kind of, kind of reminiscing a little bit. And, um, I'm sorry if I didn't prepare you for like how deep we were going to go, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, no problem. Thanks you for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And that was my chat with Steven Dale, formerly of Project 86, formerly of Bloodshed, formerly of Inner Means, formerly of so many of my favorite bands, and currently of Starflyer 59. 
this was a bucket list interview and I was really, really excited to get to do it and get to talk to Steven and get his perspective uh, on the origins of Project 86. It's it's kind of nice to hear that story from a different point of view every now and again. So that was really refreshing and I hope you guys really enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, I can tell you, if you enjoyed this interview, I've got a lot of stuff lined up for 2021 that you guys are going to find unbelievable. I find it unbelievable. Just did an interview the other night with every member of Travail. Well, mostly every member. There were a lot of guys in that band, but I got at least like a solid a solid four of them uh, on one interview. And there will be a video of that. 2021 is going to be awesome, guys. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. We're a lot of places now. You can go to facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can tweet at us at Discuss Metal on Twitter. You can send us a message or give us a follow on Instagram, also at Discuss Metal. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Discuss Metal Dan. Uh, you can find me on YouTube now under Discuss Metal Dan. And definitely make sure you're following that YouTube page because we are starting to post actual videos of us recording episodes of Discuss Metal, recording episodes of Discography Discussion. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you're going to get access to all of that stuff early. But if you're not, it's not a big deal because as soon as those audio podcasts are available for you to listen to, you can go check the YouTube channel and you'll be able to watch the videos that go along with those episodes as well. Uh, the videos are fun. A lot of them are un uncut, uncensored, uh, unedited. They're just they're just raw. And uh, I personally get a kick out of watching stuff like that uh, and comparing it to the edited final product. So uh, if you guys want to see more content like that, definitely make sure to let us know. And uh, yeah, it's it, we've got a great year lined up for you this year. So thank you guys so much that have supported us in the past. And I can't wait to share some of this stuff with you guys in the future. I'll see you next time. This has been Discuss Metal with Stephen Dale of Starflyer 59. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. Discuss Metal.